is sopping, sopping wet. We'll have to leave it open for a bit. Oh, wow. It is raining, inside and out. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you are our God. Thank you, Father, that we can come on this blustery day. Lord, when things look dark outside to speak about when life is dark. Lord, may we, may we know that you are with us. Lord, as we come now, may we be reminded that we are ever safe under your wings, that you are our God, no matter what happens in life. Please, Father, speak to us now. I pray for the Sunday school that the kids would learn of you. But I pray for us too, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit. Use my voice, Holy Spirit, I dare to ask, but use all of our minds to know more of your love. Amen. And thank you for the rain. Now, can you all hear me? It is so unusual for me to have to say, can you hear me? I'm usually so softly spoken. Thank you, Pam. Yeah. 
So Psalm 143 is a psalm written by David. If you remember last week, we, we started looking and we said, if we look at the psalms, we can broadly identify three categories of psalms, addressing different spaces in our lives. In the first place, we have psalms of orientation. These are psalms written from when we are on the mountain, when life is as it should be. When, when, as David said last time, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for us. Everything is good. We look and we go, yes, God loves me. Life is good. Everything is as it should be. Of course, we also said that there were, there were other moments in life. Sometimes life on the mountaintop, we go bobsledding to life in the valley. And things get tough when things are difficult. And next week, we're going to see that, you know what, it's not just uh, from an up to a down, but there is actually an up cycle again when we reorient ourselves. But, but today we're looking at, at when life is disorientated, when life is a mess, when life goes into the pit. We don't know what danger it was that David was facing as he wrote this particular song. It's possible it was when he was fleeing from Saul the previous king who was trying to kill him. That's what Psalm 142 is about. I wonder, Steve, could we put me up a little bit and I'll lower my voice. Thank you. One of the things we said last week was that how we live on the mountaintops determines how we cope with the valleys of life. There's a quote from a guy called Bill Pennell who says, If you are in the habit of communion with God when the sun is shining, it makes it easier to sing in the rain. So let's sing. (laughs) David says here, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me. Answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Don't put your servant on trial, Lord, for no one is innocent before you. My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and he forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. David finds himself in trouble. He is sure that in this instance, he is in the right. He has not done anything to deserve the trouble that he's in. And yet, this experience of the pits of life, the valleys of life, says to him, wow, I'm fighting the weather today. Says to him that as broken, sinful people, even when we feel like we've done nothing to deserve it, From God's perspective, none of us deserves the mountaintop. None of us deserves to live life as it should be. None of us deserves to have the boundary places lie in pleasant places for us. David knows that no matter how good he is, he has fallen short of God's standards. And so he looks for not justice but grace. He says, God... Give me your grace. This is loud. I have an idea. 
I have an idea. I don't think I can fight with this. Can you hear me? You can hear me? Okay. <laughs> you know what? In the dark times, when life is like this, sometimes we feel that we deserve better. And yet David says, I know that I don't deserve better. And yet he says, God, would you help me? Answer me. Not because I am a person who deserves your help, but because of who you are, God. Answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Now, this isn't a, a small valley that David is going through. He's been faced with, with a horrible experience. He's been chased. He's been knocked to the ground. He's been forced to live in the darkness. He's near to giving up. He's, he's almost paralyzed with fear. He's, he's depressed. He's down. This is, this is life at its worst for David. David literally had people who wanted him dead. Now, hopefully you haven't come to church this morning with a list of people who want you dead. If you have, I'm really sorry for you. But you know what? We too face life in the pit sometimes. And it's a horrible place to be in. God knows what it's like to live in the pit. Thank you so much, Wayne. God knows what it's like to live in the pit. Brent? How's it going? Carry on. Okay, now what, what I want to say is that God knows what it's like to live life in the pits. In fact, He knows because He became one of us and He went through the very worst pit. He experienced what David experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. Feeling the weight, not of his sin, but of all of our sin, hanging over him. The difference there is that while David said, I am almost paralyzed with fear, and the rain stops. I'm almost paralyzed with fear. Jesus was not paralyzed, but boldly went and faced the deepest pit, the deepest valley that anyone ever could ever experience. Made deeper because he came from the highest heights. He came from life with God in eternity down into humanity and then down into death. What do you do when you're feeling down and depressed, when people are standing against you? How do you respond? I mope. John, do you, do it? Do you ever feel down? Sometimes. Sometimes? How do you respond? What do you do? I'm putting him on the spot, by the way. Does anyone, anyone have a thing? What do you do when you're down? You, you can pray, yeah? Cry. 
eat, preferably chocolate. <laughs> Chocolates make everything better for a while. Not forever, though. That's the problem with chocolate. You know, David sits here and he... Oh, it's so nice to be able to talk. David sits here in a place where he feels absolutely helpless. Chocolate hasn't been invented. There's nothing he can do. He is hopeless. Except for the fact that he knows the Lord of all creation personally. You see, this is what David does. He prays and he cries out to God. But before that, and as he does that, he, he recollects that God has been active in the past. This is not the first valley or pit that David has found himself in. This is not the, the first dark moment of his life. This is not the first dark moment of humanity. And David sits there in this darkness, in this place of hopelessness, and he says, you know, even though there is no hope, I can turn to the one who has a track record in history of helping the hopeless. You see, this psalm is about a desperate, hopeless, hope-filled turning to God. When every other support structure that we have that we think will hold us up proves to be false. David says, I know him who in the past has done marvelous things for me as a thirsty land desperately calls for rain. So says David, I lift up my hands and I reach out for God. If you're anything like me, you're, you're now singing in your head, as the deer pants for the water. You're not like me? Oh. That's another psalm. As the deer pants for water, you read the rest of the psalm, it is saying the same things that David is saying here. It's saying, I'm in this darkest place, and what I need the most is refreshment from you, God. I, I cannot survive without you. The deer needs water. It can't live without it. The land is barren without water. David says, I am hopeless without you, God. And so what does he do? He says, God, I know that in the past you have acted to save and to help. When there seems to be no hope, says David, I remember the days of old, verse 5. I ponder all your great works and I think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as a parched land thirsts for rain. When life is hopeless, says David, remember God. And in fact, Paul says exactly the same things in one of my favorite passages, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. And um, I've always learned it in the New International Version, and then I, I heard it in the New Living Translation, and it just brings a freshness to it. It says, don't worry about anything. 
because I know none of you ever worry about anything. Don't worry about the big stuff. No, don't worry about the little stuff. Don't worry about anything. Even if you've got enemies attacking you, if you feel like you are about to give up, paralyzed by fear, as David was, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Oh, Lord, answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Help me. Silence my enemies. Tell God what you need, says Paul, and thank him for what he has done. You notice those two things go together. In the psalm here, in Philippians chapter 4, we say to God, God, this is what I need. You are my only hope. I thirst for you like dry land thirsts for the ground. And I'm doing that because I know what you have done. And I thank you that you have done great things for me. Paul carries on and he says, if you do that, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul says, tell God what you need, thank him for what he's done, and come to the place where you can trust him despite your circumstances. You see, Paul doesn't say, if you tell God what you need and you thank him for what he's done, then God will go, okay, you've ticked all the boxes, circumstances sorted. Paul says, no, you tell God and he will give you a peace which is weird, which doesn't make sense, doesn't work according to logic. How do we survive the pit? How do we survive the valleys? We survive them with God. You know what? Us Christians are very good at coming up with excuses for God, aren't we? Oh God, please help us. Nothing happens. Well, we'll be helped in the end. And you know, that's true. Ultimately, our salvation comes and there will come a time when Jesus sets everything right. But is it wrong to say, God, help us now? David doesn't think so. Verse 7 says, Come quickly, Lord, and answer me. The Hebrew is even tighter than that. The first word is just one big verb. It says, Hurry! Hurry! Help me now! David is willing to wait on God. He's willing to, to survive this as long as God is with him, but his heart yearns for his circumstances to be fixed now. You know, God promises to be with us through the hard times. And it's not wrong to say to him, God, I trust you, but I so want my circumstances to change. The pits tend to make us short-sighted. The valleys of life tend to shorten the way we look. Perhaps our hurry is more of a, this is the only problem in the world. Save me, God. And perhaps we do need to have a bigger perspective. Sometimes God does save and change circumstances. 
Sometimes that takes a while. Sometimes in God's plan, the valleys are the valleys and they can still have purpose. And I'm reminded of, of Jesus praying, as I've said already, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know about you, but I've never gone through an experience where I'm sweating blood, I'm so stressed. There's a valley for you, and Jesus says, if it's possible, take it away. When we go through tough times, it's not wrong to say, if it's possible, take it away, God. But what Jesus says next, and where David goes on from here, is saying, but I will not be short-sighted, because not my will be done, but your will be done. I don't like this valley, but if you can use it, use it. You see, what what interests David more than any potential help from God is God himself. He was thirsty for God. It was God that would make his circumstances bearable. Spurgeon knew this. David said here in verse 8, Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. And Spurgeon said, The only only God can take away from our weary ears the din of our care and charm them with the sweet note of his love. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. See, that's what we need most when we go through the difficult times of life, is to know that God loves us. What David needed the most in this time, whatever it was, was a knowledge of the presence of God. And he recalls God's love, not because he, he deserves to be loved, but because that is who God is, and because God is trustworthy. He runs to God for protection. He trusts God because God has said to him, I am your God. I am for you. He wants to know where to walk. Says David, throughout this tough time, you know, when when things go tough, we want to set the agenda. David says, no, God, I'm going to let you set the agenda for my life. Show me where to walk. Let, Let me do your will. Your will be done, not mine. He says, God, teach me to do your will. Let me please you. By your spirit, verse 10, lead me forward, says David, on a firm footing. This isn't just about God saying, that way, David, pointing the direction. This is is about being led. This is about being a child of God, Romans 8, 14. All who are led by God are children of God. You see, David knows the truth that us humans are not only prone to stray, but also prone to stumble. And he says, God, lead me along a path where I will not stumble and fall. May your gracious spirit, verse 10, lead me forward on a firm footing. 
Jesus taught us similarly to, to pray to God, Father, lead us not into temptation. And isn't temptation much more tempting when life is tough? Perhaps we think we know how we should live and perhaps we just need a little bit of help from God, but I think David's onto something here with our capacity to deceive ourselves. At one point, Jesus spoke about how terrible it is when the light we think we have inside us is actually darkness. Says David, would you lead me because I cannot lead myself. I need you to lead me. We sang that in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me to quiet green, uh, past quiet waters, to green pastures. And he leads me through the valley, but the point is, he leads, and we follow. David says, God, this is a tough time of my life, and I want you to answer me, and I want you to direct me, but most of all, I want you to set the agenda. I want you to set the direction for my life. I want you to set the direction for how I speak. I want you to set the direction for how I relate to people. Because the truth is, even the darkest pit and the deepest valley can be survived with God. Have you ever been in a really dark place? Where you hold your hand up in front of you and you cannot see a thing? And then we think in this dark place we can find our own way. They've done some amazing tests um, of people walking. They blindfold people. Now, let me just do a, a survey here. If I blindfolded you and put you in a really big field and said, walk in a straight line, who can do it? Anyone? You know what? They found just about every single person you blindfold them, you stick them in a field, they can't see, and they walk in circles. David says, you lead me. Because I'm in this dark place, and I think I can see, but actually I can't. I'm not worthy of your love. Would you help me anyway because of who you are? Would you lead me? Because to you, darkness is as light even the darkness is light to you. You know the way. Jesus endured a darker pit, a deeper valley, bearing all of our sin. And God didn't leave him. He didn't allow his body to see decay, but he raised him to life again. He knows the way through death. And if he knows the way through death, he knows the way through every dark moment in this life. Hebrews says he has been tempted in every way just as we are tempted. Larry Crabb says, Dear friend, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy, to escape our dark room and run the playground of blessings, or we can accept his invitation to sit with him, for now perhaps in darkness, and to seize the opportunity to know him better and represent him well in this difficult world. Says David, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, but more, 
Lead me, and may I know you. David knew his life to be at risk, and yet he was willing to trust God to save him. You know, even though at times life may feel overwhelming and hopeless and dark, we can trust God because we are His and He is our God. David appeals to God on the basis of the glory of God's name, on the basis of God's faithfulness. You know what? If God cared nothing for his reputation, if God was the sort of God who would make promises of, I will never leave you or forsake you, and then ignore them, if God was the kind of God who couldn't be trusted to keep his word, if God is the kind of God who says he loves us but actually doesn't, then the dark moments of life would be dark indeed. And yet everything in history says that God is not that sort of God. Everything in history, and David's looked back, and we can look back even more to the cross and say God is not that sort of God. And so we can confidently take our life in the pit to him in prayer. We can ask him for help. We can ask to be aware of his presence with us. Not because we are fantastic people who deserve to be back on the mountain. But because our God loves us. And has proved that over and over again. Just as an aside, there are some bits in the Psalms which I don't think us Christians can pray. I think we can pray them when we feel really bad, but I think that they're not really what God wants us to be saying. And the last verse, part of it, is one of those. Some of you are looking at me going, What? You're saying the Psalms are wrong. No, the Psalms are Old Testament. And they speak from an Old Testament perspective. In your unfailing love, brilliant, silence all my enemies, good, and destroy all my foes. Brothers and sisters, when we're angry, feel free to take your anger to God. If you've got kids, you know what it's like to have an angry child and saying stupid stuff. It wasn't wrong for David to say, destroy my foes, kill my enemies. And you know, one day, all those who stand against us and persecute us, if they don't turn to Jesus and accept his forgiveness, they will face his judgment. Some face it even in this world. But Jesus did teach us a different way. He said, bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. But Nick, my life is really desperate at this moment. And these guys, you don't know what they're doing to me and it's really bad and it's evil and they need to be punished. Yes. Don't put your servant on trial, for no one is innocent before you. 
You know what? The greatest valley that has ever been walked in this world is the one walked by Jesus on the cross and to the grave and into the depths of death. And the last words that he cried, or almost the last words, were not, Father, judge them! But Father, forgive them. Ultimately, there will come a time when all those who stand against God will be judged. But the way of the cross is to say, when life gets tough, God has proved himself for us. To such degree, such as David would never have known. David could survive with God, with him. Jesus says, I am with you and I want you to do more than survive. I want you to show my love. My brothers and sisters, you are going to have a horrible moment today or tomorrow or sometime in the future. Jim, I hope it's not tomorrow for you with your eye. You are going to have valleys in your life. You're going to have people who attack you, people who hurt you, You're going to feel like you want them dead. I'm speaking to saints, so I am sure that none of you have ever had those feelings in the past. When you do, when life feels at its lowest, remember what God has done. If he is with you, you can face it. Ask him to resolve it now. In his graciousness, he might. If this is about David and Saul, it took years. Ask him. And say to him, Lord, of myself, I want those people dead. But you died so that they don't have to. Make them your friend. Anna Marie. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. You know what? Sometimes that's what happens. We go through valleys.